Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hey everybody, thanks for coming out tonight and we're continuing the series I started last week on the God of Abundance. This message I believe is really important for us because so many of us uh, have been disappointed over the years with the way the economy has gone and it just forces you to start thinking small. It forces you to start cutting this and cutting that. And so if we're not careful, we'll get the same idea that God is the same way and He is not. He is the God of abundance. Last week I threw out this statement for you and I'd like to repeat it to you. Consider this, that every time that God gave a project to anyone in the Bible, it required an abundance of something an abundance of faith, an abundance of grace, an abundance of wealth, an abundance of anointing, that empowerment that comes from the Holy Spirit. It may have required an abundance of prayer or it may have required an abundance of material things. Whatever it is, when God calls us to do something, He never calls us to do something small. He always causes us to do something big. And I'm not only talking about ministry. He wants you, your marriage to be a marriage of abundance. He wants your family life to be marked with abundance. He wants you to be an employee on the job or a boss or, or a professional professional that operates with the mindset of excellence and abundance because that represents him. It is God's desire that every one of his children live a life that's extraordinary. We're not called and we've not been created to live a life of mediocrity. If we're going to do that though, if we're going to live a life of abundance, if we're going to experience abundance, and if we're going to be uh, an individual that God can pour his abundance through, then you and I are going to have to get rid of that scarcity mentality that mentality of poverty, the mentality of never having enough or just barely having enough. That is not God's kingdom. God's kingdom is an, a kingdom of abundance. Our lifestyle is supposed to reflect the abundance of God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. John 10, 10, Jesus himself said that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy my purpose, Jesus said, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. If you read that in an altered translation, it says that they would have life in super abundance. And that's what God's all about. He is a God of extravagance. We talked about last week how the fact that scientists tell us that there's over 400,000 types of flowering plant species in the world. Uh, believe it or not, we're also told that there's over 950,000 species of insects alone. There are over 28,000 known species of fish. When God said, uh, let there be life, let there be light, when he created the earth, when he created the abundance of, of the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom, and, and all of this, he just, life just burst on the scene in abundance. He didn't just create one flower or ten flowers. He didn't just create one type of fish. He created a multitude and then created within them the ability to reproduce that abundance. Genesis chapter 1 verse 20 says that God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. Psalm 65:11 says, you crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. In other words, even in tough times, we can experience abundance. God is a God of fullness. God's a God of plenty. God is a God of abundance. He's a God of over the top and overflowing provision. He's not limited to circumstances. He's not limited to seasons. He's not limited to natural settings. He can provide in the desert as much as he can provide in the vineyard. We're reminded in Deuteronomy 28, the the commands that Moses received from God that he relayed to the, 
to the people of Israel. Listen to this word, these words here. Verse 1, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all the commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord our God. When I read this, I always think of being at the beach. You know, we live just a few miles away from the ocean here. And, and I always think about being at the beach. And, and sometimes, you know, you can get distracted. You might turn your back to the ocean. You might be looking at, talking to someone or looking at something. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this wave just comes and just, you know, crashes and just wipes you out. That's the type of picture that this is painting, that these blessings will come upon you like a wave and overtake you even when you least expect them here's the blessings verse 3 blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks blessed shall you be your blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl the places where you store your food blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. In other words, everything you put your hands to, everything you touch, everything you invest in, everything you involve yourself in is going to be blessed. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. There's a place that God's calling you to, a place of abundance. The Lord will establish you as his holy people to himself. Just as he sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. The Lord will grant you plenty of goods, and the fruit of your body, and the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, the land to which the Lord God has sworn to you. The Lord will open up to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season. In other words, his blessing, his grace will flow upon you and your life and everything that pertains to you. <clears throat> You will, you, will, you will lend to many nations and you shall not borrow. That's talking about finances. And the Lord will make you to be the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and be careful to observe them. Imagine the nation of Israel having come out of extreme poverty, having come out of just being just destitute, slaves, owning nothing, having nothing, barely surviving, and then coming to a place where God has released all these blessings upon their lives. That is the abundant God that we serve. <clears throat> he is not threatened or concerned about our spending too much for the kingdom. In First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 5, Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent. See, David had that abundance mentality. Maybe we can call it this. David had an attitude of excellence, and if I'm going to do something for God, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, with the best that I have, the best that I can bring. And he reflected that in his life, and he reflected that in his kingdom. He said that the house of the Lord to be built must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all the countries. And it was. At the height of Solomon's temple, in all of its glory, millions of people came from all over the Mediterranean. They heard about this place in Israel. They heard about this building that would bring glory to God, and it did. So David, what did he do? He made preparation so that before he died, before he left this earth, he, he amassed a fortune in materials that would be set aside just for the building of the temple. In verse 14 in that same chapter, it says, Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, 
one million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. These are the instructions he's giving to his son. Moreover, they are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stonecutters and all type of skillful men for every kind of work. Skillful men. When we do something for God, we shouldn't just, we shouldn't just slop things together. We should, we should take the time to learn how to do things in excellence. You know, here in our ministry here, we're just so blessed to have a creative team and to have uh, individuals around us that are just, they, they seek to train themselves. They seek to, to further their talents and further their giftings and, and just receive more wisdom from God on how to do things so that when we have a service, when we, when we, uh, conduct any kind of a project here, even the way our property looks and the, and the facility and things of this nature, uh, you know, we try to do the best with what we have. And God has blessed us for that. And so when you come to service here, you know, you have a comfortable seat to sit in. It's, the place is clean. It, it's look good. It's up to date. You're not, you're not sitting in a, in a basement someplace with knotty pine paneling. You know, we do our best. It's, it's not for us, for our glory. It's for his glory, just like David's attitude, an attitude of excellence. And so by today's standards, everything that was just listed that David amassed for Solomon to use in the temple was worth $216,603,576,000 by today's standards. That's not counting labor costs. That's just the materials. That's an amazing amount of money, but God is worth it for his glory, for his kingdom. He's not afraid to spend money when it comes to furthering the kingdom. And, and it's all his anyway, all of the gold, all the silver, all the bronze, all the timber, all the stones, all, all, even the talents that he gave the individuals to be able to build that temple. It all belongs to him. Now, second point I want to make. The land of disobedience, in other words, the lifestyle of disobedience is a reflection of the kingdom of darkness. Darkness always carries with it scarcity. I don't know if you ever, ever recognize that, if you ever made that connection. You know, it dates all the way back to the garden, Genesis chapter 3. To Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Now, that wasn't God's original plan. God's original plan wasn't for man to, to just constantly work and constantly work and never be able to have enough and just barely get by. God's plan was never that the earth would produce thorns and thistles and, and you know, all of our allergies that we, we suffer from goes back to that point in time when because of sin coming on the earth, even the plant kingdom turned. Even the plant kingdom began to produce things that were, were harmful for mankind, not beneficial for mankind. That's not God's way of doing things. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Man, that, that talks about just the rat race of life. Just get up in the morning, go to work, work those hours, come home at night, swallow a couple of gulps of food, uh, just try to, try to get some more work done, or, or let's, let's turn around, get to bed, get up, take a shower, uh, and do the same thing all over again. That's not the life that God called us to. Uh, he's called us to a life that's abundance. So it's not by coincidence that people groups all over the world that worship idols, that refuse to worship God, that have rejected the gospel, it's not by coincidence that those nations, those people groups, those geographical areas, they, they suffer. They're plagued with poverty. They're plagued, plagued. You can go to these places and you feel the atmosphere is oppressive itself and they constantly suffer from lack. God does not bless us with abundance that we might live in luxury. 
He blesses us luxuriously that we might lead others into an abundant life. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth. A reminder, he says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when, we take your, when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. It's an awesome feeling when you be able to bless somebody. When you have enough to take care of your family, take care of your bills, take care of all your obligations, and then some left over, to be able to share with some of the people that haven't experienced that abundance yet. Let's face it, we have people all around us. You may be experiencing difficulty right now, but I believe that in the heart of each one of us, that every human being that God has created, he has put a desire on the inside of us to be able to share what we have with others. And that's why we're so blessed when we share at Christmas time, when we go out and buy gifts. And, you know, we worked hard all year and put money aside to be able to buy gifts. And we buy those gifts. There's such a great feeling when you take those gifts and you, and you give them to your loved ones. Or maybe even better, when you, when you share your gifts with those who can't repay you, those who can't give back to you. There's that feeling on the inside. That comes from God. That's a, that's a residue on the inside of our original nature in God. He goes on to say here, as a result of verse 13, your ministry, the result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. In other words, the result of your service. You know, the word ministry really just means service. A minister is a servant. A minister is not somebody to be worshiped, not someone to be served. It's a person who serves. And so he's calling us here ministers when we give to others. He's calling us and acknowledging the fact that God's called us to be servants. He said, when you do that, the recipients are gonna give glory to God for your generosity to them, and to all believers who will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And verse 14 says, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace of God that he has given you. Abundance, generosity, excellence, over the top. These are all things that describe the nature of God, but they're also things that should be describing our nature. In Ephesians chapter five, we're told to be imitators of God, just like little children imitate their parents. God gets the glory when you, know, when you and I imitate him, especially in giving. The third point I want to bring to you tonight, how does this abundant life come to us? <clears throat> how do we access it? What is the vehicle, what is the way that God has given us for us to access this abundance in his kingdom? Well, I'll tell you, it's Jesus. It's through his son. I want to tell you a true story that I found a number of years ago. Um, I'm kind of a history buff, so I like to read stories about history, um, especially American history. And, and there's a story that following the Civil War, there was a Confederate soldier who was just, just down and out, just destitute. And he, he went to Washington, D.C., went to the Capitol, and he's sitting outside the grounds of the White House. And a young boy approached him and inquired, why was he so sad? Why is he so dejected? Why is he so depressed? And he went on to say, the soldier related how he had repeatedly tried to see President Lincoln, 
to tell him that he had been unjustly deprived of certain lands that belonged to him in the South after the war was over. On each occasion, as he attempted to enter the White House, the guards would cross their bayoneted guns in front of the door and turn them away. The boy motioned to the old soldier to follow him. When they, the old soldier and the young boy, approached the entrance to the White House, the guards came to attention. They stepped back and they opened the door for the boy. He proceeded to the library where the president was resting and introduced that soldier to his father. The boy was Tad Lincoln. The soldier had gained an audience with the president through the president's son. It is through Jesus, the Son of God, that we have access to God, to our Heavenly Father. It is through Jesus that you and I have access to that inheritance that's laid up for us in heaven, that's waiting for us, that inheritance in the realm of the Spirit that you and I, by faith in the name of Jesus, can access that abundance and bring it into the natural. In John chapter 10, Jesus described himself as a gate, as a door for the sheep to enter into the pasture. In, in verse 9 through 10 of that same chapter, this is what he said. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them rich, satisfying life. He is the entrance into all that God has for us. What is he saying? That if you want to enjoy the blessings of God, including salvation. You know, when we say salvation, that word salvation, we think of, okay, I don't have to go to hell. I'm going to go to heaven. But that word salvation is a Greek word, sozo, that includes so much more than just not going to hell. It includes our health, physical health, mental health, emotional health. It includes prosperity, the ability to have what we need to pay our bills, to feed our families, to, to, to just maintain a good life and enough to share with others. It includes the joy of the Lord. It includes contentment and etc. Every good thing that comes from the Father is included in that, that, that one little word, salvation. But you've got to come to Him, to Jesus, to get to it. All the promises that God has ever made to mankind are contingent upon the name of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, it was like, it was like God's approval to those promises that he made to us. They existed in theory, but now they're reality to us because Jesus on the cross with his blood just said yes to all the promises of God. God made a reality. He brought the reality of this new and better covenant to us through the blood of Jesus. You know, when Congress makes a treaty, the terms of that treaty with that other nation uh, have, has got to be ratified by the members of Congress. Uh, legally speaking, no president, no leader can make a treaty with another nation except that the terms of that, of the, of that treaty, the details, the specific requirements, the contingencies, all of the details of that treaty have got to be made public to the Congress and Congress has got to vote. In other words, Every member of Congress has got to say yes to that treaty, where the treaty cannot legally be enforced. Jesus did the same thing with his blood. God promised us a new covenant. You remember the Old Testament? The Old Testament was great, and God was able to do miraculous things for the people of God. But there was a sacrificial system in the Old Testament. And that sacrificial system existed for this reason. We cannot, because of sin, come into the presence of the Father unless there's the blood of some sacrifice. That's in the Old Testament. 
That's why when John the Baptist, you remember in the Gospel of John, it tells us, and when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming down the road, he and his disciples were standing by the wayside there, and they see Jesus, and John the Baptist pointed to Jesus in front of, his, in front of John's disciples and said, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of this world. He was referring to the Lamb of Passover. He was referring to that Lamb who would be sacrificed so that our sins could be removed from us and we could be cleansed. In the Old Testament, when a sacrifice was made, it covered the sins of the people. It did not eliminate the sins of the people. It didn't remove them. It, the people were not cleansed from their sin. Their sins were covered over by the blood of that animal, whatever, whichever kind of animal was used for that particular sin or that particular sacrifice. But the difference between the Old Testament covenant, the agreement that God made, and with the New Testament covenant, which we're told is a new and better covenant, our sins have been removed. Talk about abundance. Talk about excellence. Talk about over the top. That's how God does things. The covenant that you and I have with God now is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an everlasting covenant. It's never going to be removed, never going to be changed again. This covenant provides for our spirit to come alive in the new birth. God's promises have been sealed in the blood of Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says it this way. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, it's talking about Adam, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. In other words, Adam was an inferior son of God, if we could put it that way. Adam, through his sin, through his failure, through his disloyalty, through his treason against God, allowed sin to come into this world, and sin has affected everything about this creation. The creation that we live in now, the world we live in now, doesn't bear any resemblance to the original creation. But the day's going to come when that's going to be returned, and God points us to that hope in the future. He said through the prophets in the Old Testament, we thank God for that covenant. Thank God that their sins could be covered. But man looked forward to the day when sins were no longer just covered, where sins would be eliminated, where the stain of sin would be eradicated, where we would be able to walk free, where we would be able to come into the presence of God without any sense of guilt or condemnation because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is abundant living. It's all available in his name. I invite you to take a step of faith right where you are right now in, in this sanctuary. When you get home tonight, take a step of faith and reach out to God and say, Father, I receive the abundance that you have for me in your salvation. For those of you that have never prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never bent that knee, you've never humbled yourself, you've never bowed your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I want you to be Lord over my life. I don't want to be master of my life anymore. I don't want to be Lord of my own life. I want you. I humble myself before you. I submit myself to you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. All the abundance of God, the abundance of peace, the abundance of righteousness, the abundance of joy, the abundance of just knowing that if you were to take your final breath this night, you would be immediately in the presence of God. God is a God of abundance. He wants us to be free from sin. He wants us to be free from darkness. He wants you to be free from all oppression and depression. He wants you to be free from guilt and condemnation. Jesus offers that freedom. He offers that love. He offers that contentment in abundance. He doesn't want you to just experience it once in a while. He wants you to walk in it in abundance. I pray that you receive that. 
Thank you so much for coming out tonight. I pray that this message has been a blessing to you, and I pray that the Holy Spirit continues to reveal these truths to you all throughout this coming week. God bless you. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's Word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the Giving tab. We hope to see you soon.